T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It's Beamaz and Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. All right, welcome in. Another day here, 9 o'clock on WBEN. There's something nice and peaceful, I think, about outside right now. You're looking at the snow. I mean, as long as you didn't mow the lawn yesterday or just plant a bunch of flowers. You look out there, it's nice on the trees. I mean, I don't see any, um, many of the cars that are out there. And the road is looking pretty good as of right now. No shoveling needed. I kind of like it outside. And maybe that peaceful uh, zen moment is uh, what we need around here, especially after all we've been through over the last year. Uh, joining me today, uh, by the way, Joe, is uh, he's recovering from his uh, second dose of the vaccine today. So there, <laughs> there's that. Uh, that, uh, you know, good, uh, good wishes go out to Joe. I'm sure he's doing fine, but he took today off just in case. Uh, so joining me today is Dr. Michael Cummings. He's Associate Medical Director at ECMC, and he's also with the Department of Psychiatry at the University at Buffalo. Dr. Cummings, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Hey, um, you know, there's so much to get to and so much to talk about, and you've been involved in helping us through a lot of these issues. Maybe uh, not uh, with anything as much as schools and kids and the pandemic and uh, the overall impact that we're looking at with that. And I, I guess I wanted to start there just to kind of, uh, you know, hit these important points right, right off the top. And, you know, increasingly you look at this and I hear so many people talk about schools. I mean, schools were again talked about at the county level yesterday and there just seems to really never be this a balance going on, right? There's uh, all the talk about the risk and mitigating the risk of COVID, which is obviously important, but the balance of everything involved in the uh, education and social and emotional well-being of kids, it, it never comes up quite as much as everything else. And that's, I think, what's been bothering me uh, lately when it comes to this discussion. But I'm wondering at where we stand right now, where it looks like a, a good majority of kids are going to have access to a, a couple of days of schooling a week. It's nowhere near ideal, but we are closer maybe than the last time we spoke on the air. Um, what are some of your concerns when it comes to what we're seeing right now with kids? Um, yeah, so absolutely. You know, um, you know, it, it, as a parent, as a mental health professional, as a um, head of a major mental health system, 
um, you know, I have a lot of concerns. I, and don't get me wrong, COVID obviously is a very real thing. It can be very serious. As I think we've talked about before. I got to spend five days in the hospital myself in the fall with COVID and, and, uh, and had home oxygen for the better part of two months following my discharge. So, so I get what COVID is and, and the seriousness and potential devastation of it. Um, the issue that I have, and I think a number of child psychiatrists, OBGYNs, internal medicine, and pediatricians have voiced is, is just to your point, we do want to decrease or limit um, the infection rate of COVID. The question is, at what cost to other things? And, you know, we can talk about bars and bowling alleys and gyms, and, and they, they all have their place in that argument. But when we're talking about our kids back in school, that's very different. It's, we'd like to point out that flattening the curve or the number of new cases in 100,000 lives was about one thing and one thing only, not overwhelming our ICUs, um, not, not running out of ventilators in Western New York. And, and, you know, not to say we haven't had our challenges in each of the hospitals, but we've never actually come close to that happening. So, so to, to use the Center for Disease Control recommendations as a justification for closing everything down, which, to be honest, I think was probably prudent at the time, but then not to use their new recommendations, suddenly they, you know, they don't make sense and they're, too, they're not conservative enough to open up our schools. It, it, it's, you know, it's a big problem spot for me as a parent, but more importantly, as someone who treats um, children every day and, and developmentally disabled children. So you know, there needs to be a balance. I just don't think that we are anywhere near what that balance should be at this time. Yeah. Um, and we can point to a lot of reasons as to why that balance isn't being struck. I, I'm still like uh, amazed that uh, this has become such a uh, politicized issue. You say something as simple and is, you know, backed up by so many medical professionals as, you know, we should have our kids in school as much as possible, hopefully five days a week, um, all the time. And, you know, people all of a sudden treat you like you're, you got a Confederate flag, you know, flying off the back of your F-350 or something. And it's just so uh, politicized how we've talked about this issue that really shouldn't be. And the the one thing that kind of disturbs me is how uh, minimized people are, are treating some of these other issues when it comes to kids and missing out on school, I see the comment online all the time of, you know, if somebody's responding to someone asking for schools to be opened, somebody will accuse a person of just wanting a babysitter. And that's how they look at schooling in kids. And it's so much more than that. And the problems are real problems just in the same way that COVID is a real problem. Absolutely. So, so let's, let's be clear. Um, school's important. Academics are important by, you know, you know, by any measure they matter, but what really matters about school is the opportunities for social development and growth, um, navigating issues with your peers, navigating issues with authority figures in a somewhat safe, you know, controlled environment. Um, that matters far more than anything associated with, um, you know, whether you pass the math, math regents this year. And, and the other piece of it is it's not just a place for our children to develop and learn to become young adults. It's also a place where teachers, school psychologists, guidance counselors, et cetera, have an opportunity to maybe proactively intervene with a child who's struggling, whether it's through depression, anxiety, substance abuse, 
um, at risk for um, being exposed to domestic abuse or child abuse within the home. All of those things have a huge cost. And then if you talk about the group of people who I spend most of my professional career treating um, those with autism, um, the majority of speech therapy, um, occupational therapy, physical therapy, behavioral therapy happens within a school setting. That simply does not happen for the last year for most children in any meaningful way. And so it's, you know, it's not just that it's going to result in, uh, in some raised levels of depression or anxiety now. Um, for some of these classes of kids, it potentially will affect their lifelong trajectory, um, as well as the huge monetary costs to our healthcare system down the road. Yeah, the concern you bring up is one of uh, isolation in kids, and that's what we've been worried about over the last year. But I think it's important to bring up that this is not something that we've just been worried about over the last year. I, we're kind of going on maybe like a decade now where this idea that kids are becoming more isolated and it's becoming uh, more of a burden on their mental health uh, it's been around for a while, and it's been talked about a lot recently, even before the COVID pandemic. And I guess the concern is here that we're now accelerating maybe the impact that it has before we really, truly understand it. Well, of course. So rates of depression, anxiety have been going up. They've gone up astronomically during COVID. But rates of something, for instance, suicidal uh, behaviors and suicide attempts and completed suicides have been going steadily up since 1999 um, for Adolescents, particularly adolescent females, that spike really started in 2006. And while this is only a correlation, that really coincides with when MySpace started and then Facebook. Um, social isolation, excessive amount of screen time, which, by the way, learning from home doubled my children's screen time. Um, and, and, and it's really difficult for parents to, to now say, OK, now turn off your screen. You know, you have to have it on during the day. But nighttime, when you want to do something fun, you've had too much. Um, it, it really it really matters. If you're an adolescent female between the age of 10 and 14, suicide is the second leading cause of death. You have the same chance of dying by suicide as you do in a car accident. I mean, that's a pretty striking stat. And um, so it does matter for social isolation. Um, the, the increase in depression and anxiety and suicide attempts and substance abuse is real and has happened long before COVID, but it's really spiked now. And we won't really know a lot of those outcomes for, for, you know, probably a year or two, because that's how the suicide data um, nationally is, is measured. So, so it, it's a, it's a really big issue. And again, that's not to, un, you know, you know, downplay the concern about COVID again, that's, you know, it is a pandemic. It's a real thing, but you know, it's, it's one thing that's affecting our children. Um, there's a lot of other things from a public health standpoint that we need to consider. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about other things other than um, uh, kids and, and school. But while we're still on this topic, uh, how do and you've been uh, part of a group of doctors who are working to uh, express these concerns. But how do you express that to the public in a way that puts a lot of these concerns on a level with the concern for COVID, and when you talk about it in some school-aged kids, you have to remember that age is a big factor in COVID and how severe you have it, that it is really, in some cases, on a level with COVID, depending on the child. Well, I think a lot of this has to do with, you know, with media, politicizing things, and, and, and a, a relatively small number of people speaking very loudly on both sides, Right. Um, yes, if you post something on Facebook, you're going to get backlash. The number of times I, 
opt not to even post a scientific article. Um, you know, I, I'll be frank. There was a, a great study that came out of England looking at obesity as a primary risk factor for both contracting COVID, doing worse with COVID, and um, having a less robust response to uh, the vaccine. I, you know, I, I'm probably going to kick myself for mentioning it on the radio because it will be backlash that somehow, you know, now we're um, shaming people because of something. And yet it's a medical condition, obesity, just like diabetes, just like heart disease. So I think there's a lot of that, that backlash that happens in social media, on the news. Um, I think when you talk with people who are willing to have a conversation, it's a relatively easy conversation. And, and the group of doctors I'm part of, and I'm a very small part of that, the, the people who've been highlighted in the newspaper and other things have really led the charge um, with that. But, um, but let's be clear, these are not just random pediatricians and family docs and other people around. These are leaders in the university. These are medical directors of hospitals. These are prominent people who not only take care of a lot of people, but train our residents at the University of Buffalo. So their opinion shouldn't be taken lightly. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big challenge. It's a big concern. Um, you know, ideally, because of the higher rates of vaccination, you know, these things will kind of settle themselves one way or another. But, you know, even with the spikes in, um, in children and teens, a lot of that is because of, you know, a couple things. The, the more virulent strains that have shown up in Western York, so it's easier to get infected and maybe quicker to transmit. Um, and also kids, by and large, aren't vaccinated or have one shot at this point. There's some that are fully vaccinated, but that just, you know, became a possibility um, just a little while ago. You know, the reality of it is we're not seeing transmission based on school, even when we're tracking these patients. You know, the transmission is not going from class to class. It's happening in home settings. It's happening in other social settings. So, so to even use the spike in our children, our young, young teens as a justification, well, they're not getting it at school. There's no evidence that that is occurring. So, so you know, I think it's just something that when you can talk to people who, who are willing to discuss the pros and cons in either direction, you know, it doesn't, I respect people's opinions wherever they are, but who can actually have an open discussion are willing to and capable of looking at the literature. That's not looking at Facebook posts. That's not looking at newspaper bylines, but the actual literature, um, you know, the argument becomes somewhat easy and rational. Yeah. Um, that polarization that a lot of times is happening online uh, might be part of the reason for uh, this is a poll, and they're not updated poll numbers because this is probably three weeks old, and we know how fast things change now. But this was done by YouGov, and it uh, polled uh, more than four thousand people to try and find attitudes of returning to social interaction uh, even after the pandemic is behind us. So you know, after a, either you've been vaccinated or a majority of people have been vaccinated, and it was very interesting that in this poll. The younger you were, the more concerned you were about uh, going back into a, a normal social life, um, even though it, it, the poll numbers almost would say you're uh, more the less uh, susceptible you were to severe COVID, the more worried you were about going back into normal life. And I'm wondering if some of that, the tone of the conversation, um, the black and white, uh, so to speak, of the conversation that is happening online where younger people are spending a lot of their time if you think that has to do with it. Well, and the other question is, are young people more worried about going back because they're worried about contracting COVID? Or are they worried about going back because, you know, just as I said, 
you know, school is hard. I mean, it is a place where we, you know, flex those social developmental muscles, if you will. And, and, you know, when you treat someone with school refusal, which unfortunately happens with a lot of frequency, and that's someone typically because of anxiety, stops going to school, maybe because of an illness or something else, and then, you know, isn't in school for a long time, it's one of the hardest things to treat to get them back into school full time. You know, they're anxious, they've gotten way behind, their friends are in front of them. There's a myriad of reasons why that, why that occurs. And I would argue that some of the reticence of return to school by, by the young people um, in our county, in our communities, is also just trying to get that momentum back. It's a big thing. When you spent a year looking at an iPad, you know, from your kitchen or your bed, and now you have to jump back into those waters. And, you know, middle school particularly is like a shark tank, right? So, I mean, it's, it's, I think there's a lot of things driving that concern. Um, and, again, you know, those are opportunities to have conversations with parents. Those are opportunities to have conversations with health care providers. Um, those are opportunities to have conversations with, with um, school officials and, and, and really talk about what the risk is. You know, there'll always be a tragedy, unfortunately, you know, and people will look to the one child who has a bad outcome as a justification for keeping everyone else out of school. And, and it will be awful and be a tragedy, but there will be other tragedies at the same time, overdoses, suicides, motor vehicle accidents, um, you know, spousal abuse, child abuse. Those tragedies are as important or just as, you know, maybe even more important um, than a COVID-related bad outcome. And, um, and we're not talking about those. All right. Uh, and you mentioned some of the overdose numbers. I was kind of stunned at some of the numbers reported out in uh, the L.A. Times who had in the Seattle area overdose deaths uh, involving fentanyl especially were up 57 percent last year in San Francisco, 700 people dying of drug overdoses in 2020. That's a 61% increase and over double the amount of people who died of COVID in that city in the past year, according to their city figures. So it is becoming a big problem. Dr. Michael Cummings is our guest. He is Associate Medical Director at ECMC, also with the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Buffalo. We have to take a break. I'm wondering, do you have a few more minutes to spend with us on the other side? Absolutely. Awesome. Um, We'll keep you on, and we'll be back with you. Dr. Michael Cummings is our guest on BMAS and Beamer. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's Beamaz and Beamer. Now Brian Mazarowski and Joe Beamer. News Radio 930 WBEN. We're back here on Beamaz and Beamer. Brian Mazarowski here with you. Uh, Joe's off today. He'll be back with us tomorrow. And joining us on the line is still Dr. Michael Cummings. He's Associate Medical Director at ECMC and also with the Department of Psychiatry at the University at Buffalo. Uh, Dr. Cummings, thanks again for uh, sticking with us here. I wanted to, you know, before we ended our conversation, we talked a lot in the last half hour about uh, kids in school and how important it is, social, emotional well-being. I, I want to talk a little bit about the social and emotional well-being of the rest of us, right? <laughs> because it seems like there is still... Uh, a lot of people who are harboring some fear about COVID that I would describe as um, irrational, or it, it would seem to be. Um, people who, you know, we've uh, seen this written in a lot of different newspapers and all over the Internet about people who have been vaccinated who are still, you know, a little scared to even see people they haven't seen in a year, which, you know, to uh, a lot of people is just kind of crazy to begin with. I, I I look at that and I'm thinking there has to be something else going on rather than just a, a fear of the pandemic and a fear of COVID. And I'm wondering if you have any insight that you can share to us of why some people are more hesitant, even after a vaccination, to get out there uh, than others and what might be behind that. Well, I think a lot of it, to be honest, is is just a manifestation of the vast increase in uh, anxiety um, within our adult population. If you look at uh, at studies uh, from you know 2019, about 11 percent of adults um, in a survey identified themselves as being depressed or having anxiety. Not necessarily a diagnosable, treatable thing, but the way that they you know felt themselves and identified themselves. That as of last December, was up to 40%, 43%. So, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a huge fourfold increase on the anxiety. And so then when your general level of anxiety is up, you, know, you start becoming more fearful of other things. I think also, to, in some ways, it's become really, and, and, and I think this is in some ways kind of, of you know, what leads to the discussion we had in the last half hour about school is, is there's become almost a thought in a subset of, of our population that, that we want there to be zero risk. Um, and yet there's risk to everything. You know, there's risk to going outside. There's risk to getting in a car. And there's risk to catching COVID. Um, again, that needs to be balanced with what you're actually missing out of. Uh, what's going on in the workplace? What's going on with uh, other healthcare concerns? So I think it's just a lot of anxiety. And, and, and that's understandable. Um, but actually, the treatment for anxiety, by and large, um, is not medication. It is slow exposure to things that make us anxious and utilizing healthy coping mechanisms um, to kind of be able to tolerate higher and higher levels of anxiety. And if we you know, shelter ourselves 
at home and avoid anything that may stress us out, uh, you know, that's actually stepping backwards and making people's anxiety worse, not better. Do you think the length of this even plays into that a little bit more? You, you know, I, I'm here thinking that there's, I, I'm like this, and I know a lot of people like this, that uh, the longer we go here with, you know, having some restrictions on what you can and, and can't do, I'm itching more and more to get out there and to be able to, uh, you know, resemble normal life uh, as best we can and get back to the actual normal life soon. But uh, when it's been such a long period of what you just described and and a lot of stress, too, of stress of not knowing uh, what exactly was going on certainly a year ago and then stress of the uncertainty of everything else, you know, will I go back to work, things like that. That, I'm imagining, can have a, a toll on people and maybe make people a little more – you kind of have this general feeling that I get from a, a lot of people, and I feel it myself all the time of just, you know, just blah, right? Where you're just – you're kind of walking through. You don't feel like you're being very productive. You don't feel like you're doing much, especially on those days where you don't get outside. Well, I'll tell you, I, what you're defining in psychiatric terms is something that we call learned helplessness. Uh, and where that comes from often is when you have multiple stressors coming at you that you really can't do anything about, you have no control over, and you can't even predict when they're going to happen. And, and so you get, um, you know, I, I don't want to offend animal lovers out there. That's not what I mean to do. But they used to do studies back in the day that were clearly wrong and would never happen now, but um, where they take a dog would be in a cage, for instance, and the dog would get shocked. In the beginning, it would, it would jump. And, and be startled. But after a little while, the dog would just lie down, regardless of how much you shocked it. Um, and, and that's one of the models of, of how we believe depression happens for people who are in chronic, abusive situations, whether it be physical, verbal, or, or other situations. So you get this sense of, I can't do anything to make myself feel better. I can't control anything that's making myself feel worse. Um, you know, I, I don't have a structure or a schedule to my day. Um, and, and it becomes very easy for that to lead to anxiety and depression and also make it even harder for you to take that next step. Um, it's, it's really important. And, and uh, before we get off the air, I would like to highlight because it is Autism Awareness Month. Um, and, uh, and when we talk about that population, especially the kids who are in group homes um, or adults who are in group homes, uh, you know, where structure and difficulty with transitions is, is, is key to what the diagnosis is. You know, it's been horrific for them and their families, um, whether it be not being in program as adults or school as kids, but it's going to be very difficult to transition back. And it's even worse when we transition back and then everyone says, whoops, no, never mind. We're back to, you know, we're, we had two days of class for a second and now we're back no school. So, so I think that's what we're feeling. Um, I think that's what, what drives a lot of this. And I know you started the hour with, it looks pretty with the snow. I don't know. I'm looking at my open swimming pool covered with snow and not thinking it looks that pretty. But think about how excited everyone was three weeks ago when we hit that 80 degree mark for a second and people were out and people were, you know, and capable of being out and socially distant at the same time. I mean, that we really need that startup. We need to get people back to, you know, as much as possible, the normal way of, of doing things, um, back to whatever the new normal is for work, um, back to being able to, you know, we talk about social interaction, whether it be at restaurants, at gyms, um, 
you know, at, at other establishments as, as being trivial compared to medical concerns. But, you know, about four years ago, three years ago, there was a study showing that social isolation and loneliness was a higher predictor of mortality than heart disease. So, so you know, it's a balancing act, just as we've been talking for the whole hour. Um, it needs to be a rational, discussed balancing act. Right. Um, and it's tough to do that sometimes to be rational and uh, have that discussion in, in kind of an open format. Hey, Dr. Cummings, thank you so much for the time this morning. And uh, I know we'll be talking with you again soon. Uh, I'm more on that autism issue as it is Autism Awareness Month in April. Dr. Michael Cummings is Associate Medical Director at ECMC, also with the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Buffalo. And if you have any thoughts on what the doctor had to say, you can give us a call, 803-0930 for the rest of the show here. Uh, Brian Mazeroski with you. As I mentioned, Joe is off today. And uh, just, you know, it's good to kind of get that perspective a little bit on what medical professionals are seeing and not talking about COVID, right? Because that all of our perspective medically, and it is important. You know, when we have Dr. Russo on, we have uh, a Dr. Wilds, who you heard at the end of the morning show on, it is important to get that perspective and what we know about uh, COVID and what's happening with that disease. But it is also important, and I think it gets lost a lot to uh, get what these same doctors or doctors in other fields are seeing as a as a result of everything else going on. And Dr. Cummings is one of those who is advocating for a return to school because of everything else that he's seeing in society. And if you missed any of that conversation, we'll have it up online for you. You know, another thing that I wanted to talk about, and we've been really mentioning this throughout the last few weeks and talking about this with you, uh, who, who have called in, is the idea of vaccine hesitancy. And I think by now a lot of people who have been listening around kind of know some of my issues with uh, how this message is going out and why people are a little hesitant to get the vaccine. It doesn't come as a surprise to me. And this is the messaging that we're getting kind of over and over, or at least what it feels like. And what I would imagine it's kind of feeling like for those of you who are on the fence or are against getting a vaccination. This is Erie County Executive Mark Polenkars yesterday. And too many people who are fighting the vaccines want us to immediately open everything. They say, no, I'm not going to take the vaccine, but we need to return to normal. The only way we're going to return to normal is if everyone is vaccinated. And if you want proof, we got some proof in this last week. Right. There's the county executive yesterday. And that's that's the tone, right? That's pretty much the tone that we've heard from a lot of people is if it's you people who want things open up and you're not getting vaccinated, and that's why things aren't opening up. And it seems like there's a lot of finger pointing going on. And we got that message again yesterday. And then not 10 minutes later, I heard this. Well, here's another big one, and I probably should have done it in myths and facts, is vaccination means you can't transmit the disease. You can catch it. You just won't get sick, really. But you could catch it and transmit it. So if you're vaccinated and you go visit someone who's unvaccinated, you could give it to them and they could get sick from it. All right, that was yesterday. Now, earlier this month, this is what we heard from the director of the CDC, who I think we can all agree has been a pretty cautious person when it comes to all of this, and especially reopening. Uh, you, you just have to listen to her words about what's happened in Texas and other states. This is what she said earlier this month. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus. They don't get sick. 
She told that to MSNBC earlier this month. The the quote continued, it's not just in the clinical trials, it's also in real-world data. And she was referring to a CDC study that was uh, released, I believe it was in April, if not late March, that suggests those who have been fully vaccinated with either the Moderna or Pfizer vaccine, I don't know if there was a study going on with the Johnson & Johnson to show similar things, Uh, But it suggests that those fully vaccinated with those vaccines do not transmit the virus. And yet still we're hearing that when you get vaccinated, you can still transmit the virus. Flip, flop, flip, flop, flip, flop. The messaging has been a disaster, and we've talked about that a lot of times. Uh, Dr. Wilds, who joined us late in the show uh, uh, just before 9 o'clock, She has spoken a lot over the past uh, few months about that same thing when it comes to messaging, and it needs to be on point. But you can't seriously, and I said this before, I feel like I'm standing in the corner, right? I'm over here, like, waving my hands. If you're wondering why there are people who are hesitant to take the vaccine, and then you say something like that, like, if you take the vaccine, well, you can still spread it to other people. Even though we heard from the CDC that that's not the case and we see more and more that that appears less and less likely to happen. Don't in the same 10 minutes, I mean, it's we have to take a, a step back, take like the thousand yard approach and just listen to what we're saying before we start scratching our heads and pointing fingers at why people are hesitant in taking the vaccine. That's the reason why they're hearing different messages. And not just different messages, but that message that we're giving that is different from what the CDC said earlier this month, that if you have gotten the vaccine, you can still spread it around. That is going to make people wonder and say, why am I even bothering? And if you're not realizing that when you're giving out that message, and we've heard it so much from uh, doctors and uh, politicians and just about everybody, If you're not putting two and two together here of why we're having hesitancy on one hand, meanwhile, we're saying these contradictory things or things that appear to not really be true based on the knowledge we have about the vaccines, I mean, there is your reason why. And uh, another point on that is the messenger, right? Have we gotten to this point, right, where we're starting to think about the messengers when it comes to the vaccine. Politicians from either side of the aisle are not great messengers on what you should do with your health. Because in general, politicians are the last people that we are trusting of getting some of that advice from. They're not very popular people. Politicians. doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. And to have politicians be the face of get this vaccine, it works. You know, maybe it's not working out too much. Maybe it is uh, more friends. Maybe it is more primary care physicians who do make that difference. Uh, Fran, you're on WBEM. What's on your mind? Oh, I already talked to you, screener. I'm Fran from Allentown. Hey, how are you, Fran? Oh, I'm good. I'm sorry. uh, What's on your mind? You're live on, uh, on the air. Right. Um, I just wanted to clarify what the uh, good doctor said about the um, experiment with the dogs and the shocks. Actually, it's, it was called Pavlov. Pavlov was the researcher, and he shocked the dogs. And um, after a point, even with the door open and the electricity off, they wouldn't leave. 
they wouldn't leave. So it's it's a condition, a conditioning, of being afraid to uh, go out because I mean I'm talking about the people now to go out because they're afraid of COVID. So it's it's a, it's a psychological conditioning. And then if anybody wants to look up Maslow hierarchy of needs, that they will find out that we're on the very bottom of of the chart of where people need to be to reach self-actualization, creativity, education, music, or whatever. We're on the bottom of, like, being fearful, um, not feeling safe at home, um, all these all these misinformation, uh, that they're not comfortable enough to, like, go up to self-actualization. Well, what's it like in your life, Fran, uh, with your friends, with people you talk to? Um, is that fear still around? Is uh, even after, say, somebody gets a vaccine, is there is is there still that fear that you've noticed? Well, um, no, I haven't. Um, I, I, uh, I'm I fortunate to live in a city so uh, and neck, across the street from a park. So I get to talk to people, um, social distancing, walking my dog or whatever. And my friend um, they they don't seem they don't seem very concerned about it, but I'm thinking like most of them are in like an urban setting. I can see where people in a suburban setting or older people who listen to the news, which is very confusing, would be very very fearful even after the threat is over to be by people. And you see when you're in the store, not, I'm not personally, but if you don't have a mask on, it's like everybody's going to pile on you like you're a murderer. So, I mean, it, it's just it's it's just the way we've been conditioned. Yeah. Look well, up your neighbor, watch out. You know. Hey, uh, Fran, I appreciate the call uh, on WBEN, and it, I, I'm just I was concerned yesterday because I've heard it so many times before, and, and it there it was popping up, and I I was like banging my head against the desk when I was listening to that yesterday. We're wondering why there might be vaccine hesitancy. Or even if we're not wondering why, because we're uh, too busy pointing a finger so many times, we're talking about it as a problem. And, and the way to combat that is not to highlight uh, a what likely is not true to begin with based on what we know from the CDC data and what we've been told um, this vaccine kind of looks like, that it would prevent you in most part from transmitting the virus uh, but from highlighting, you know, the negative things, from stressing that once you get this vaccine, nothing changes. And you can't wonder why there are people who are hesitant to then get the injection when you're highlighting that kind of day in and day out. And I, it's just I'm, I'm over here raising my hand, so waving them around, wondering exactly, you know, when we're kind of kind of get on the same page here uh, instead of giving out different information all the time. Speaking of which, plenty of COVID vaccine appointments available tomorrow. Moderna, 18 plus. Thursday, ECC South and North, you can make an appointment. Follow the At News Radio 930 Twitter page. Happy birthday goes out to Iggy Pop, the legend. Iggy Pop, I hope he lives forever. One of the most important people in music history. He's turning 74 years old today. Never looked better. Thanks for joining me. Joe is back tomorrow, so he'll be back with us. And uh, we're back to Beamaz and Beamer again on WBEN. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.